Welcome to the Expat Cast. This is the podcast where expats share their stories about fitting in, standing out, and every mishap on the journey to finding home abroad. I'm your host, Nicole. I have one quick announcement before we get to today's episode, and that is the Expat and Spouses Monitor report is now ready. You may remember back in March of this year, I mentioned the Expat and Spouses Monitor. They're a group of researchers whose goal it is to help expat partners. Expat partners are the person who moves with their partner, their husband, their wife, to a foreign country for their partner's job. These people are often highly qualified themselves, they've often had a career themselves, and they would often love to keep working in this new country, but for various reasons that can be very, very tricky. But one of the biggest reasons it's tricky is because companies themselves are not really looking at this whole topic and not taking full advantage of the workforce that's already at their fingertips. So the Expat and Spouses Monitor ran a research study, which is what I promoted back in March. I participated myself. I hope some of you guys did too. And now they've analyzed all the data that they've gathered and released their report. So I'm linking to that in the show notes. If you yourself are an expat partner, this is really, really cool for you to take a look at so you can understand what other people like you are going through. If you work for a company or an institute that hires expats, this is also a really great place for you to go to because then you can talk to your company about how they can take better advantage of the expat partner workforce especially considering a lot of the expat partners who move abroad and then end up not being able to work, at least not in their field, happen to be women. This is a very, very important topic on my heart, and I'm really glad to see that there's great people out there doing such awesome work on the topic, and I'm very excited to be promoting it on the show. So as said, go take a look in the show notes for the link to read the report. Now to today's episode. I told you that this season would involve a lot of fellow expat podcasters, and well, here I am to deliver. Already the next one is hitting your feeds. I talked with Megan of Balancing Cultures podcast. She has a wonderful story about falling in love with the city of Munich, why she chose to stay there, and what she had to do to make that happen over over a decade at this point. Megan is is many things. She's a very, very cool person. She's a fellow U.S. American. And she's a person with a voice made for radio or at least audio format. So I'm very glad that she has a podcast. I personally enjoy listening to it. And it was very, very cool to get to interview her on my show for various reasons, not least of which include that I got to listen to her voice for a while. So it was an absolute delight. And I hope you guys have the same experience of loving both the content of what she says and also that great voice. All right, enough said for me. Let's get right to it. Enjoy. I'm Megan, Megan Kitchen. I'm originally from the States. I typically tell people I'm from California because it's cool to be from there. And it's big and most people know it, but I actually grew up in multiple places in the U.S. from New Hampshire to Texas, California, Pennsylvania. And I'm currently living in Munich, Germany. And I've been here, it'll be 14 years in February. So yeah, Whoa, a while. Okay. I need to keep a ranking of guests, but I think you're you're up there for one of the longest. Yes. I'm That's very impressive. competitive. So you just like, that gave me a boost. <laughs> and have all 14 years been in Munich? All in Munich. Yeah. Wow. On purpose? Yes. Actually, like, I had to make it work. 
So it's not just like, "Mm, you know, I happened to be here and I had a good job, so I stuck with it. It was like I had to leave for a week and then I found a job and I came back and then I that job didn't. So I had to get another job. And then like I had to make it work to stay. So you're like in love with Munich. Like any love story, it's had its ups and downs. But, you know, you fight for what's right. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think this is really a topic that uh, or like an aspect of life that people, depending on how your life's gone, you think about a lot or you think about not at all. And it's hard to get right. I mean, it really is like a a classic love story. There's some where you try and you try and you try and make it work because you want to love it and it just doesn't love you back. Oh, yes. Or places you love, but it's meant to be a fling and it never sticks. So anyway, I think it's super cool that you sometimes for better, sometimes for worse, found a place that you love and were like, God darn it, I'm going to make it stick. I feel like Munich and I are going to be like growing old together and sitting in rocking chairs on a porch, if that makes sense. (laughs) That's the love story I have with Munich. Except I'm also like, in my mind's eye, those rocking chairs are in the middle of a beer garden. (laughs) And it's this mixture of like classic American with the rocking chair image and classic Munich with the beer garden. What's great about Munich or Germany, Europe in general, is I can picture myself being 90 and still riding my bike to the beer garden to meet up with friends. And it's not like some fantasy. It's realistic to say I'm going to be 90 riding my bike to the beer garden because people do that. Like you don't question old people drinking beer in the afternoon and then jumping on their bike to go home. They pack a picnic. They're like, I'm in this for the long haul. I'm coming for hours of goodness in the afternoon at the beer garden. Because you can still enjoy life at at any age. Well, okay, but speaking of any age, so before we totally get ahead of ourselves, we'll rewind (laughs) around about 14 years. And how did you first meet and fall in love with Munich? My story is I graduate university. I went to Penn State. Whoop, whoop. Any Penn Staters out there? Hello, hello. Pennsylvania connection right here. Yay. And so (laughs) graduated Penn State, then went back to California because, of course, I booked myself into an internship right away because that's what you do. You get a job right away. Did the cubicle thing. Hated it. Absolutely (laughs) hated it. And so on my lunch break one day, I said, "Okay, I'm booking a ticket to backpack Europe. I'll fly into Switzerland and out of Barcelona and I'll make my way from one place to the other somehow. I actually ended up doing kind of like two figure eights. And I just contacted everyone I knew and said, or kind of like put it out there. I think, yeah, Facebook was around, Facebook status style. I'm going to Europe. Who do you know I need couches to sleep on? Because I'm going by myself. (laughs) My mom's colleague, who was a Spanish teacher, once had a German exchange student who lived now in Munich. Completely random. She's like, I'll contact him. I'm like, yeah, sure. Like, he's going to say yes to his ex exchange sister's colleague's daughter sleeping (laughs) on his sofa. But he did. Not only did he say yes, it was one of these magical German three day weekends because we have a lot of public holidays. And they were off in the mountains or something. He says, I'll leave the key with the neighbor. No, (laughs) not kidding. And so I should rock up to their house in kind of the semi-burbs of Munich, but close enough to the city where I could still take the train. And I'm sleeping in their house without them there. And it was just wild. But then I'm exploring Munich during the day. And there's something great about traveling by yourself that you see a place with different eyes and at a different speed. And then they got home on like the Monday And my plan was to then leave the next day, but I also kind of fell in love with the family. And so I hung out and I stayed a few extra days and joking over wine one night, we like popped open a bottle of wine. 
me and the, the mom and the dad, they said, oh, if you ever want to come back or you need to like establish yourself, be our au pair. Come back and do a little stint as an au pair. And I was like, ha, 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 finished my backpacking trip, went back to the States for Christmas. I was home a couple days. And I was like, mm, yeah, I need to get back to Europe. And so I contacted them and I said, were you serious about that au pair thing? Because I know I've got like a degree, but I'm willing to do anything to get back to Europe. Oh, this is also so cute because like you're still at a phase where you think Germans might be joking. <laughs> Like, not not understanding that, like, everything that they've ever said, they mean very seriously. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're like, of course. And so, yeah, that was my ticket into Germany, which I thought was just going to be like a sampler platter, kind of this fling where I was going to come to Munich, do like a six to nine month little au pair thing. I was a, a walking tour guide for the city of Munich. I also worked at Dachau Concentration Camp Memorial as a tour guide, took German language lessons during the day. And I was like, yeah, this is great. I'm having my like fling with Munich. But then it just it gets into you like Munich just digs into you a little bit and holds tight. And so that was like how I got here. But then I just kind of kept staying. I kept finding reasons to stay. How long was your backpacking trip for? I did two and a half months. So it wasn't like short, but it wasn't long. I think it would have been longer if it wasn't winter, but I didn't start until October because I did this internship over the summer after I graduated. And then I wasn't willing to wait like, oh, I'll wait for better weather to go backpack. And I was like, no, I need to get there now. I need to go now. (laughs) Get me over there. So, yeah, you know, I said I'd come home for Christmas. (laughs) And you technically did before then promptly like turning right back around and being like, nope, bye. <laughs> See ya. <laughs> but I'm interested in, yes, yeah, so you had this like whirlwind, you said double figure eight trip around Europe. And I totally can understand why Germany and, and specifically Munich would stick with you. But was it just because you had that offer or was it also like the place itself? Because I don't know, a lot of people would imagine, especially if you're visiting over the colder months, that somewhere like Spain might be a little bit more of the dream. (laughs) But I think that was part of the point. So one, definitely the offer helped because it made transitioning to Europe much easier knowing I had a family that was going to support me. It got me my health insurance, my tax number, my everything. You know what I mean? That's part of the hurdle of moving abroad, especially as an independent person. And I dare say, not that I want to make this about gender, but also as an independent woman, I think you need to be aware of the challenges you're going to face Not that they're prejudiced, but I feel like they assume you're coming with a husband if you're a woman. And it just feels a little bit different. And also for your own protection and safety, you want to make sure you've got a place to land and things that are a bit more secure as a 22-year-old with not much money. (laughs) You know, you got to make sure some (laughs) things are in place. So I think that was a part of it. Another part is I have a connection to Germany because my dad spoke German We're not German, but he studied abroad in Switzerland. Then my parents did a year in Frankfurt. And so I had this weird German connection, not through any type of heritage, though. We also had German exchange students. I think we just kind of had these random touch points of German connectivity that made Germany not so strange for me. I can understand for other people, they're looking at the map of Europe and they're like, France, Spain, Italy. Mm -hmm. And I was like, ooh, Germany. Yeah. You know? (laughs) Especially when you then move and you end up within however many months your job is at a concentration camp. Like, I just, it's, it's. Yeah, I threw that one in there. 
Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like it's not exactly the 22-year-old goes on and like an eat pray love mission and finds herself in some sunny European city. It's like eh, it's a little bit different than that. Yeah, it was not eat pray love. It definitely wasn't uh it was more parkas and bratwurst. Um <laughs> but you know you said I was traveling during winter and wouldn't that have put me off these kind of places and pushed me more towards warmer weather places like Spain? But I think that's part of the thing that grabbed at me is I came to Munich in some bad weather. Like it wasn't even that great. And I came on like a Sunday and then a Monday, which was a public holiday. And for those outside of Germany and outside of Bavaria, that means everything's shut. Like everything. Everything is shut. So the city is dead. And I still loved it. There was still something about walking around those empty streets and then going and getting some food in a beer hall. And when you go in as a single person, you share a table with other people, you know, and they make space for you. And there was just something that, you know, Gemütlichkeit, which translates roughly to this warm, comfortable, homey feeling that you get from a place. I don't know if you have a different translation for that. Cozy is the closest, but it's a bit even more than that. It's, yeah. Like cozy in your soul. Yeah. It's kind of that, the way that tea warms your insides. I got that tea on the insides feeling. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't sound as nice. Demute tea lishkeit. Okay, I'm sorry. Anyway. <laughs> Too far, Nicole. Too it would work far. written, I think. <laughs> sure, sure. Well, you can tell yourself it I, I am going to. You're going to start the hallmark of Germany. <laughs> so you end up you end up falling in love with Munich. With Munich. And yeah. And so you move. You're an au pair. You have these other kind of random jobs. And you said it, it was this fling that just kept the fling that just kept flinging. Like it just kept it going. Just kept going. <laughs> and at first I was like, you're so clingy, you know, like Munich, you're yeah. so clingy. <laughs> I don't want to define the relationship yet. Jeez. <sighs> Let's not have the what are we conversation. <laughs> but it happens. So I so life is full of these little like timeline slashes where things happen as markers. And one of those was actually my brother's wedding. So I knew my brother's wedding is nine months from me like coming to Germany. So that'll be a nice stopping point. I'll fly home, I'll like move back home, go to my brother's wedding. But again, I didn't feel I was done. One reason was Oktoberfest was about to happen. <laughs> and I was like, I can't miss my my first Oktoberfest. And so as, you know, 20-something, young 20-something, I was like, okay, I'll fly home for the wedding. And then I'll come back. I'll just do three more months. You know, I'll do mm -hmm. Oktoberfest. I'll finish the tour season, you know, get some good tips, make a little bit of money before I go back and get a, quote, real job. But then that turned into another opportunity because at Oktoberfest, I ran into a friend of a friend of a friend who said, well, what are you doing being a tour guide? Don't you have a degree? What like what'd you get your degree in? We start chit chatting. He gives me his card and says, I think I have a job for you. And no joke, I get a job offer at Oktoberfest. <laughs> so you're painting the picture so well. You're at Oktoberfest getting this job offer. But also you were saying, you know, oh, just... The whole story with, with Germany is like, oh, just I'll move for nine months. Oh, just three more months. Oh, just, just three more months. It's exactly this beer garden Oktoberfest feeling of like, oh, just one more. Oh, just one come more. on. Just one more. Just one more. <laughs> just one more. And then you're like, I should eat something. Right. 
<laughs> so did, but, you actually but, got that job? Like, did, is that the next I did. segment? Wow. Okay. But, what was interesting about that is just a little aside is things don't always go smoothly. It's like trying to move from one rental to the next. It doesn't always line up well. And so I was like in the interview process for this job, but I wasn't sure if I was going to get the job. And then I needed to move. My visa was running out. And so I actually went, I packed up everything, which was two suitcases. And I went back to the States and I lived with my mom in her house that I'd never lived in because she moved by then for two weeks. And then I got the job offer and I packed it all back up. Booked a ticket back to Munich. And, wow. Uh, yeah. But again, this was one of those, like, just a refill because it was, a you know, the six-month probation time, potential for a year type of thing. So I was like, oh, okay, six months. Okay, another six months. And that was because you mentioned that this person had been like, oh, like, you have a degree. You shouldn't be a tour guide. Then was this more of a career, quote unquote, job? Yeah, this was definitely more of a career job. It was a, a website, a startup company that ended up getting bought by Microsoft. So we were like becoming established. I was working in the SEM, search engine marketing department, a lot of like keyword stuff. But it put me back at a computer and a desk tip-tapping away, copy and paste into an Excel file. And I was like, what am I doing? Isn't this what I left California for? Like, this is what I quit. That's what I was kind of thinking when you mentioned that it was, or yeah, that it's- It was a real job, right? (laughs) Exactly. I'm like, but we know real job means boring. Yeah. For this girl. For this girl, that type of real job meant boring. Yeah. And so I end up quitting that. And with the encouragement of actually the boyfriend at the time- I went for teacher training, which I never wanted to do. And I'll let you listeners know it's because my mom was a teacher and I said, I'm not going to be my mother. (laughs) Well, ends up I am my mother. (laughs) (laughs) And teacher training in terms of to become like in a German school or to do like sort of freelance English teaching? I looked into all the different avenues because what you just said, those are some of the options but I knew I didn't want to do the English language teaching. I wanted to I wanted to attempt, if I was going to stay, to establish some type of career. And so I actually looked into all different ideas of like PGCE programs to get actual certification for teaching and ended up finding a distance learning program through the states, through the USA, and got a license through the state of New Hampshire. At the same time, I started applying at international schools here in Munich to be an intern, to get my kind of hours in. You know, you've got to do a bunch of training hours and have someone sign off on that. You you have to work for free, basically, to be- become a teacher. And that's what I did. And one of the international schools said, yeah, come on by. Of course, we'll take free work. And so I did that for a while <laughs> while I got my certification. Wow. And then could you parlay that into a, a job at an international school? Indeed, I did. Indeed, I did. But it it takes work. So, of course, I'm working for free, but I still have to pay rent while I'm doing school. I'm an independent person. I don't have money behind me. It's it's me. And so I started cleaning a house to make money and tutoring kids basically enough to pay my rent and have a beer once in a while until I could get a real paycheck. And then the international school I was quote, volunteering or interning at, took me on as a substitute teacher because, I mean, why not? So then Mm. I got a little bit of real money. The next year, I got an assistant position while I was taking my exams. And then the next year, once I passed my exams, I became a real teacher. And I have been 
at that ever since. Man, I'm like, I want to go down that rabbit hole because I find international schools so interesting and like, honestly, one of the best gigs possible, I feel like. (laughs) It's a pretty good gig. That's personal, like selfish interest, but I'm going to (laughs) keep us somewhat on track because you mentioned finances and you mentioned studying in getting a degree by a New Hampshire, which is in the United States, which makes me think that that is just like heaps of student debt and or like at least heaps of tuition money. Uh, Was that the case? So I am a saver. I am a frugalista. I don't want to say good with money. I'm cheap. (laughs) (laughs) And so I was always just really good about saving. And so I paid off my bachelor's with the money I made from like tour guiding and that internship I did the summer in California, which paid actually really well. I think that's one of the reasons I said I've got to get to Europe right now is because I was getting really good money in California, but for a job I hated. And so I knew if I didn't leave and they said, here's a permanent position, I would have taken it. And so I had good money from that and good money from tour guiding that paid off my bachelor's. Then I started saving up and I ended up through all the different gigs I did. So through the next job, that uh, search engine marketing job with that startup all the cleaning stuff and the tutoring, I was able to pay off my teacher certification courses in time. I just paid for it as I did it. Yeah, that's amazing. Because I mean, I I asked not to be too invasive about your personal finances, but just because I mean, in the US, there is some element of people are paid a little bit more with the understanding that life is generally more expensive. Plus, most people are paying off some form of education. So it's kind of built into the system, not not entirely like it's a super flawed system. um, But when you're here and you're generally people make less money in Germany than in the US. And especially given that you were saying you're basically kind of gigging here and there different things. I just could imagine it being really challenging to afford the US education. At the same time, if you'd done a German teaching degree, that's also such a long process. And Oh, yeah. And I knew I didn't want to end up in the German public school system. I knew I wanted to be in the international school system or at, you know, some bilingual schools or the there's a British school here. There's a lot of these options. So I knew that was the avenue I was hoping to go down. And with the money side of things, because I think this is important for people who potentially want to live or do things abroad. If you want to make it work, there are lots of ways to make it work, but it's not always going to feel good. (laughs) Like (laughs) I lived in a shared flat with four people in a three bedroom place and we turned the living room into a bedroom and we had one full bathroom and a tiny kitchen and I ate like cottage cheese for dinner because I wanted to make it work. Yeah, I think that's really stands out about your story is that this place that you kind of stumbled into was so right for you and you decided to prioritize. I mean, it sounds like for a while you were just extending and you were just extending, (laughs) right? But at some point you seem to decide, no, I really do want to stay here and I want to create a path that's going to make that life possible. So that's such a strong prioritization of Munich, of a certain location. And there are consequences that come with that. Of course, any prioritization means that you're making other sacrifices to to make that work. So yeah, it sounds like finances were definitely something that you had to get creative about to make it work. And I mean, and Munich is famously very, very expensive. It's expensive. But I also think it's expensive if you want it if if you want to do all the things. You know, if you're someone who likes to go out to eat a lot because there's a big foodie culture here, life is going to cost you money. If you want to go to every concert, if you want to take taxis places. Yeah. I got a bike. When I didn't have my bike or I, you know, drank and it would have been irresponsible, 
I walked. I would walk long distances to avoid a taxi or a train ticket because I had time, but I didn't have money. You do what you have to do. I feel like that's a little bit of the American spirit that I really love that I have in me. And it sounds like you have in you as well. It's like the The there's always a way where there's a will, there's a way. You just figure it out. You make it work. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm curious if there are any other areas where this prioritization of a place had side effects or or consequences or, or what kind of shape and form that this took in shaping your life, especially at the beginning before you kind of have this job at the school that's actually paying you rather than just volunteering. <laughs> like I could imagine it being like pressure from your family or, or confusion from your family being like, why are you here if you're not even making money? Or why are you here if you can't even have a career? Or, you know, because you don't have one of these clear, obvious reasons like a job or like a relationship or something that demand not demands, it sounds harsh, but um, <laughs> that puts you in that location. It's just like your own choice. Yeah. And I think you're right. When if you're in a relationship, that's something that like gets everyone off your back about anything. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like being in a relationship, people go, oh, okay, then it doesn't matter if you have a great job. It doesn't even matter if you're happy. Stay where you're at. And there were long periods of time or a long period at the beginning where I was just single and I was perfectly happy just making it work for me. And then I had a long relationship, uh, about a three-year relationship. And that's the person who encouraged me to, to go after the teaching. You're right. Everyone kind of laid off and didn't really bug me about being in Europe because I was in a relationship. It like gave me a reason to be here as if I couldn't be me. I couldn't be here on my own. I wasn't enough. Right. But I think it took my mom several years to stop asking, when are you coming home? And I think even like my college friends, there was a phase where everyone was getting married, which meant, you know, bridal showers and bachelorette. I missed it all. I went for the weddings, but I missed all the little bits and bobs. And I think it took them a while to realize this isn't just like Megan having fun abroad. This is Megan having a life abroad. This is Megan having a life, punked, period. I don't know if people, when you move away or you make a decision that seems outside of the norm for your community, are asking you these questions about, like, when are you coming home or are you really happy or what's your plan here because they're helping you question whether or not you're making the right decision or they're questioning their own definition of normal. But yeah, I I got a lot of that. I got a lot of the questions for a couple years, but after, especially after 10 years, they stopped. But I think shortly before (laughs) that, shortly before that, they probably stopped. And did the questions ever turn internal? Like, did you have moments where you're like, wait, what am I doing here again? (laughs) That's a good question. I was going to say after my breakup, before I was with my my now husband, I would say maybe there was a question there, but I really don't think so. I think by then I was really settled. I'm really happy because I came here independently. I think that's important for me and for that time, even after a breakup when I thought, you know, I'm here because my partner's here. Oh, wait, I don't have that partner anymore. But I came here for me. I was just Megan before I was Megan and so-and-so. So I'm just back to being just Megan and I'm perfectly okay and I'm in a place I love. So let's just keep moving. And then you end up, as you already said, you, you got this job situation worked out at some point. I believe you're you're now married with kids. Um, I am. Right? Yeah. <laughs> I did that. <laughs> and that, that all in Munich still. I mean, that's the other thing is like yeah. it could have happened that you ended up falling in love with someone that wanted to live somewhere else or that could have been another barrier that would 
change things. But you got that done there too. Hey. And not a German. Not a German. Wow. I, uh, I ended up with a Finn. And people, I think when I first got together with him, were like, oh, are you guys going to move to the States or Finland? Because something about both of us not being from here made a lot of people assume that we wouldn't stay here. But this is where we met. This is where this our whole relationship is in Munich. And in a way, it's like if we went to the States, I would, you know, it'd be home field advantage for me. And if we moved to Finland, it'd be home field advantage for him. Well, in Munich, we're kind of at a disadvantage together. So <laughs> it's like common ground in a way. Right. And he was already living in Munich when you guys met? Yeah, he he had come for actually a temporary contract, but he came for six months with the potential for an extension. But he came, I met him, and I said, I don't think that's going to be temporary. You're staying here. And that was it. <laughs> but there's the benefit there, too, of you both. Well, it sounds like you more so than him. He was a bit more fresh into this move, but like you both had established yourselves and been there on your own terms before you met each other. And so there's less back and forth of like, ah, we're going to move here. We're going to move there. It's like you'd both already chosen this place. And then, yeah, of course, you just extend it. And I think he hadn't been here that long, but he already saw the advantage and the like beauty of living in this place. And it's not just when you live in Munich. I love the city, but it's Bavaria. You know, we've got the Alps within a drive. We've got lakes all over the place. We've got city. We've got nature. We've got everything. So he's Finnish. He loves the outdoors. He was like, oh, I can go mountain biking and then go to a movie and then go to work. And it's like all here. Yeah, I think what's really interesting when I look back at this whole sort of tapestry of a story that that you've told us. Yeah, it comes back to this term that we, we threw around a little when we were setting up this episode of resilience. I, I definitely hear that a lot in your story. And it's funny because it has this fun mixture of like sort of you just end up places and things just end up happening. But also this tenacity in you to to kind of stick with what you knew was working for you. And I find that to yeah. be a really interesting balance. I also really believe in when you're open to opportunities, like anything coming your way, you're not looking for anything in particular, but you're open to whatever comes your way. Things come your way. And so I believe that I came into Munich and maybe Munich was a place that like grabbed at me and really got under my skin and I wanted to be here. But I didn't say, okay, well, I'll be here if I can have a job in this field or if I can do it this way. I went, I will be here in any way possible. And I just kind of opened the doors to whatever opportunities could come my way. I think that makes a difference when you're open. Now, I'm curious because I feel a very similar type of love for Freiburg. And I always play this game anytime I go anywhere else, regardless of the country, of could I live here? And then there's always, like, even if most of the list can be checked, there's just always one or two things where I'm like, but my place has all of that plus this other thing and plus this other yes. thing. And I just, I love it in such a sort of obnoxious, annoying way where I'm like, it's literally impossible for anywhere else to to meet these standards because I, what I'm just describing I want out of a place I'm literally just describing the place I already live in and not to say that the magical perfect place just appeared I, I think it's the other way around I think I love it so deeply that now I it's become my list of requirements you know so anyway I'm, I'm curious do you do you play that game <laughs> oh I absolutely play that game absolutely and there have been a few that got really close like Colorado my friends live there now it's gorgeous and it had a lot of the things 
uh, Melbourne, Australia. Friends live there. We've been there three times now. And that checks a lot of the boxes. But you're right. Then we come home. And there's also this feeling of like on our way home when we're on the airplane or when we finally get home, we're like, no, no, this is the place. This is where we should be for a lot of reasons, for all those checkboxes that kind of go beyond the other places. And I don't know. I I think maybe you're right. It probably had a lot of those checkboxes that were good for me as an individual and now me as a part of a couple and then also me as a mom because I've got two kids. Yeah, it's just become a part of me in a way that I can't explain that makes it feel right. It is the place that I call home. That was so beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man, that was like a magical podcasting moment because you just said this beautiful thing at exactly the right amount of time that we should be wrapping up on. And again, <laughs> when you podcast with a podcaster, they just bring it to a whole nother level. Huh? <laughs> it's time to round the corner and head to home with the ending segment, which is called Zack, Zack, Zack. It is a rapid fire question round where I ask you three questions that you answer without thinking it, overthinking it. You just You just go with your gut. Oh my gosh. Oh, you don't even know, Nicole. I'm a little bit sweaty, but I'm I'm here for it. Let's do it. Are are those jumping jacks I hear? Just the arm part of it. (laughs) (laughs) What's just the arms of the jumping jack? (laughs) You're just flailing. You're sitting in your chair flailing. That's what that doesn't sound as cool or athletic. (laughs) (laughs) All right. First up, what is one podcast that you are listening to these days that you are loving? I absolutely love Maintenance Phase, and it's about debunking fitness and fat phobia and all these things around that, diets and fats and things, and it's just debunking, and it's awesome. Only listen if you're okay with swearing. It's amazing. Next one, what is your favorite part of Thanksgiving dinner? Stuffing. And finally, of all of the beers that you can get in all of the beer gardens in Munich, what one is the very, very best? It depends because I'm a vice beer person. And so I, it's not one of the top six. So this is where I had my little conflict. So <laughs> there's the top six breweries that are the ones who serve at Oktoberfest. And they're usually the ones when someone says, pick from a Munich beer, it has to be one of those top six. But I do love just kind of these microbrew vice beers that are coming out from local places. And I actually know one of the brewers, and his name's Tillman. So Tillman's beer, and I I like his beer, and he gets local artists to do all of the labels on the beer. So it's a different artist for each label, and it's awesome. Oh, that's very cool. And now is the part where I let you plug your stuff. I already mentioned you are a podcaster. So what is your show, and where can people go and listen to more of your wonderful stories? So I am the host of Balancing Cultures podcast. It's an interview-based podcast, so I have guests on every week to talk about the balancing of cultures in our lives and in ourselves. Maybe that's about you've crossed a border, you're an expat, you're an immigrant, you're living abroad, but it could also be people who are facing and balancing the cultures around them in their home country. Things like, do we talk about periods? So that's what we do. We meaning me. I don't know why I just pluralized myself. Um, myself and the guests will say. <laughs> there you go. It just makes it sound less lonely when you're like, oh, it's just me doing it. It's just me. Okay. It's just, yeah, uh, just me. It's called Balancing Cultures. You can go to balancingcultures.com. On Instagram, it's Balancing Cultures. Facebook, it's Balancing Cultures. And on Twitter, it's Balancing Story. 
because balancing cultures was one letter too many. And I can't do balancing <laughs> cult. Balancing oh. cult would have been weird. But fun. Different, but fun. Yeah, I don't know if my branding would have been. <laughs> this been is your t-shirt. Ready? Cults. There are cultures too. <laughs> <laughs> Could have been your tagline. <laughs> I mean, someone would buy it. Thank you, Megan, for coming onto the show. Links to Balancing Cultures podcast are in the show notes, as are links to my social media. So go ahead and follow me on Instagram and on Twitter at The Expat Cast. And as always, I am online at theexpatcast.com. Another thing Megan and I have in common is that we both love getting reviews for our shows. So please take a moment, head on over to Apple Podcasts or whatever your podcast app of choice is and leave both of our shows a rating and a review. It will truly make our day. As always, I want to thank Amy Lungi Art for the logo and Side Hug for the theme music. They're on Instagram at a hug from the side. On Thursday, I'll be back in your feeds. And honestly, I still haven't decided which episode I'm going to put out yet. So we're going to have to wait and see. It's going to be a surprise. But till then, have a wonderful week. Happy Halloween and happy November 1st to everyone in Germany. It's the first public holiday we've had in ages. So I hope everyone is going to enjoy it, especially because it's a long weekend. All right, till Thursday, have a wonderful week. Stay healthy and stay safe. Bis dann. Tschüss.